Life can take us on unexpected paths that leave us with emotional wounds and scars. But these scars do not have to be a burden that we carry alone. I'm Jocelyn Biederset, a childhood sexual assault survivor, and this is Invisible Scars, a podcast where we connect and learn from those who have come out stronger on the other side of trauma. So today, my best friend Susie is back for our monthly episode, and we're taking on the topic of self-compassion. We get into the importance of self-compassion, why it's such a hard practice for trauma survivors, how I'm leaning in to accept it, as well as the myths around what we actually believe self-compassion to be. I truly love this conversation so much, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear it. What are you doing for your mental health this week? Oh, you know what? Actually, the one thing I am doing for my mental health this week is trying to move my body more intentionally to exhaustion. I feel like my sleep has gotten all out of control. I haven't been exercising. I'm trying to actually move my body intentionally, but really get it going, you know? Yeah, totally. You know what? I actually just posted about this yesterday because for like the last, well, you know, like, that last like 10 years, I would go and do like the a weight training class or I would like go to spin and I would show up to those every morning at 6am. I was like religious about it, but in a super unhealthy way. And then it was just like more stress on my body. So the last year I've been like, okay, basically what I need is just like something soft, something really gentle. So I've been doing Pilates. But yesterday I was like, I felt the call. I felt the call to the weights and it felt so good. And I feel like now I'm ready to like do it in a healthier way, but really start pushing myself again. So I've taken a long break from, yeah, any sort of like weight training. Um, and this is the first time where I'm actually wanting to come back to it, but in a, like in a good way. Yeah, same. Oh, we're so on the same page. Look at us. So aligned. So aligned. You know, every, it's so funny. Every time we go to do one of these episodes, I want to start out by saying, welcome back, soulmate Susie. So... <laughs> <laughs> you remember when I you came back to Prince George for like we have this weekend that we always do in the summer and I introduced you to some friends from there and they were like we were like I don't know like gushing about how much we love each other when after a few glasses of wine and everyone started calling you soulmate Susie all night and it stuck so that welcome back <laughs> I think some people from Prince George still refer to me as soulmate Susie. I think that they do <laughs> it's just your name now so I am so excited for this episode because we're going to talk about self-compassion. We are going to talk about self-compassion. Okay, I find this really an interesting topic in general um, when it comes to mental wellness, mental healing. I also find that this is where a lot of my uh, clients, patients get very, very stuck, but it's so, so beneficial. So that's why we want to about it today. You know, as you say it too, like it reminds me that I think a lot of us don't understand what self-compassion actually is and super uncomfortable with it. I know I am like, it makes me uncomfortable to in the beginning, not now because I'm more comfortable with it now, but when I was starting this process to be like, it's okay that you did this. It's okay. You can forgive yourself. And to me, that is a lot of self-compassion um, is forgiving myself for things. And it can be really uncomfortable, but it's also been pivotal in getting to where I am emotionally. Yes. And I'm so glad you said that. And I'm, I, you know, as we kind of talk about it and define it, I'm going to go through some kind of misconceptions about it. I'd love to hear, you know, how they relate even in your own journey. But self-compassion, just to define it for people, is extending compassion to oneself. So 
um, you know, when you think about the word compassion, like if you're, if you're sending it outward, like as an outward expression, it's, it's just kindness, right? It's, it's kindness, it's um, empathy, it's being gentle with other people's inadequacies, being gentle with other people's suffering, or even gentle with other people's failure. So that's compassion. Self-compassion is when we're turning that inwards. So we're extending that kindness and warmth and empathy to ourselves at times of suffering, pain, failure, or just perceived inadequacy. So simple way to put it is actually it's just being really nice to yourself. Right. So from a psychology perspective, why do you think it is so hard for so many of us to have self-compassion? So this is the interesting thing. So our a lot of our inner voice, we all have it. We all have that tape that plays in our our you know inner world, inner mind, comes from childhood. Okay. And a lot of people were raised you know, with well-intended parents, right? Even parents who, you know, were really well-intended would sometimes be critical as a way of motivating. Mm -hmm. And so what that could look like is, you know, say you're a kid and, you know, you come home and you get a C on your math test and a parent might say, yeah, you know what? That's not a good grade. Like you got to work harder. Like what are you doing to get your grade up? Um, How did you let this happen? Were you not paying attention in school, right? So a lot of these kind of critical questionings and the intent is to motivate the person. The intent is to say, you got to get better at math, but it's done in a critical way. Yeah. That critical voice gets downloaded and fast forward when you're an adult, that's what you say to yourself as well. So most people weren't raised or met with, self-compassion as a form of motivating, if that makes sense. Yeah, so true. I can think back to so many things. And I think too, when it comes to trauma survivors, so many that I have spoken to, and I know I've experienced this myself, it is so uncomfortable to think about self-compassion. Yes. So uh, why don't you tell me a little bit actually about kind of your first introduction to like a self-compassion practice? So honestly, when I started therapy like a year and a half ago, when I tried to navigate all the things that I had been through. And it was something that she really worked on with me. And it was so uncomfortable. Number one was like forgiving myself for the things I couldn't control that happened to me or happened to my brother when I was a kid. Things that I did as a teenager that I was so embarrassed of or that I wasn't happy with or that I just hated myself for. Things I did as a young adult or things I've done as a parent. Like It was just this like snowball of beating myself up over things I did or things I couldn't control or also Sue's like finding things that had been done to me, finding ways that it was my fault. Yes. And, um, actually I want to talk about that. So for trauma survivors, often, um, going back and finding where the fault is, um, is kind of your brain's way of wanting to feel like you're in control. Like your brain, your body wants to feel like it's in control. We have a hard time tolerating things that are outside of our control or things that we're uncertain about. That's when anxiety creeps in. It could be for another episode. So it makes a lot of sense that you want to go back and try and find fault in it. And then again, become very self-critical. Yeah. Which then starts to feel natural, right? Yeah. 
Yes. So that self-critical like voice in your head becomes so natural because you've had it for so long from like the time of whatever the traumatic event was and then onward because it feels safe. So that has been really hard for me to come out of. And it, oh my God, it felt so unnatural in the beginning, like so uncomfortable because I didn't believe it. Like I would say things to myself like, okay, it's okay that you did this. It's okay that you, you snapped on your daughter today. It's okay that you had a bad parenting moment, but those felt so unnatural and so uncomfortable. I think too, it makes you feel safe, right? Like, so survivors of trauma, I feel like have such a hard time receiving compassion from other people and self-compassion because it feels dangerous or like a trap or like if you let someone enter your world and show you love and understanding, it's not safe. Like then you're vulnerable. Yeah. And actually, you know what? So that's a really interesting piece as well, because a lot of times people I work with are really resistant to self-compassion because they feel like it's a kind of a form of weakness or it might self-compassion kind of quote unquote, let them off the hook. I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. If I'm self-compassionate, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to hold myself accountable. I'm not going to, you know, do the hard things in life. I'm just going to say, okay, well, you know, I don't have to do these things. So people really resist self-compassion because they truly believe that if they are kind to themselves, they're going to somehow stop achieving or stop doing the things that they need to do. Oh boy, does that so, I relate to that so much. Like the word that's coming in my head is lazy. Yes. Uh, I hear that a lot. And actually, sometimes people like they're, they get really passionate about it. They're like, no, like if I'm not critical, if I'm not really hard on myself, like get up, get going, do these things, you know, calling names. A lot of times people will say, you know, if I need to go to the gym, I'll be like, you're so lazy. You're such a slob. And it's like this really self-critical voice that they, they really believe is pushing them into the gym. Oh, yes. Okay. Also, this like reminds me so much of my early days of healing when I was like diving deep into therapy and I was having those fucking hard conversations and like admitting things that I didn't want to admit and remembering things I didn't want to remember. And I would be so exhausted where I felt like I can't even keep my eyes open. I would cry and cry and cry and be exhausted. Like I spent so much time in bed resting and just like, trying to recover. Actually, you and I had so many conversations about this. I'd be yes. like, Susie, why am I so exhausted? And you're like, well, because all those years of like hiding your trauma and hiding from it, like you're processing now, it's fucking exhausting. It's exhausting. You're like, I have to nap every day. And I was like, that is okay. Like lean into that. That is what your body needs. Like trust, mm-hmm. trust the process, trust that you, y- your body needs rest. So let your body rest. But yes, what what was I doing in those moments? Being compassionate. Being compassionate. And then I had to be that for myself, which was uncomfortable. So like anyone who's listening, if you're in this and it's like, you're fucking exhausted and you cannot get through the day without a nap and you're sleeping 10 hours a night, but you still, it's okay. You're not lazy. Like that self-compassion is so important in those in those times of trying to move on, right? And trying to process. Yeah, well, and it's so interesting because yeah, people, people, um, really hang on to this one tightly that if they're kind to themselves and they are soft to themselves and warm to themselves and offer themselves kind of this kindness that they're somehow going to give up in life you know like they're somehow going to stop going to work stop going to the gym stop seeing friends but it's it's actually the opposite 
Mm-hmm. It's the opposite. When you can offer yourself self-compassion, it's actually what is the true motivating factor. Yeah. Right? When you're kind to yourself, you're encouraging of yourself. You're, you know, mm-hmm. that is the true motivator. But that's a big one for people. We're going to get into a little bit of like what the what the myths of it are of self-compassion are but before we do I just want to touch on the fact that when you are making the conscious choice to heal for me like the harsh reality of it was that healing asked me to go back to really difficult painful memories from the past and remember emotional pain And literally the self-compassion of like what we said, letting myself rest and forgiving myself or not putting blame on myself or looking for reasons why it was my fault. It just helped me process it. And I honestly believe that that's why I did so well. Yeah. Yes. Like this is why, you know, when we were talking about different topics, like this one's really important. It's super important to me and my work. Um, and I do find this is the hardest thing for people. The hardest thing for people seems to be this idea of self-compassion. But if you can truly implement it, um, it can really shift things. But, you know, we are going to talk a little bit about myths. But I want to hear a little bit because I know we had conversations when you were kind of first learning this from your own therapist. What was that like for you to try out self-compassion at first? I, I remember you were like, this is weird. <laughs> it's so weird. Also, freaking uncomfortable. Like, you almost feel like you don't deserve it. Not almost. You do feel like you don't deserve it. And it felt like, I, I said earlier, like, just not believing the things that I was telling myself in my head. Like, it's okay. You're not lazy. You're not a bad person. You had good intentions. Like, you had a bad parenting moment, but that's okay. Like, those kinds of things, I just really made the intent to continue to practice and it honestly helped me cope to the point where then it became natural for me to have those. And okay, here's one thing that really helped me was reframing it and reframing self-compassion and just being like, okay, when I had those like really ugly moments, just stopping to remember that the people I love and respect have also made mistakes and they've also screwed up and they've also done things that they're not happy with. And I never once stopped loving them. I never once stopped respecting them. And remembering that just helped me to not be so hard on myself, like treating myself the same way I would treat you. Right. Exactly. Because often we're, we're a lot kinder to the people around us than we are to ourselves. It can feel really like foreign to turn that like inwards. Do you want me to go through kind of some of the myths around self-compassion or I've kind of compiled these myths, if you will, of what tends to come up for people when we start having discussions about self-compassion in therapy. So one of them is that self-compassion is a form of self-pity. Okay, so this is a myth. Just as yeah. a disclaimer, this is not true. <laughs> myth. myth. This isn't myth. true. <laughs> this is not true. This is a myth that people say self-compassion is a form of self-pity. So people mm, feeling, sorry for feeling sorry for yourself. Sitting in this kind of space where you're feeling really sorry for yourself. Um, people say it sounds so whiny. I feel like I'm just whining about myself. You know, this is not true because self-compassion actually makes us more willing to accept, experience, 
and acknowledge difficult feelings. So I'll say that one again. So self-compassion makes us more willing to accept, experience, and acknowledge difficult feelings with kindness, which in turn actually helps us process them and then we're able to let go of them. Yes. You know, that's one thing I didn't believe at the beginning of all this was, okay, if I sit down and sit in this feeling, if I feel, if I, you know, really acknowledge what I'm feeling and sit with it and deal with it, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to move past this. Like, I don't want to touch that. That feeling is so ugly and uncomfortable. I don't want to touch it. But once you start doing it, like, I promise you, I know it's so hard to believe, but it just like evaporates. Like I don't, it's not letting anyone off the hook. I want to be clear. You're letting yourself off the hook. Well, here's the interesting thing. You can still, you can be kind to yourself and still hold yourself accountable. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is you can say, wow, you know what? You just shouted at your spouse. Like you said some things that were really not kind. Like that's, you know what? You were really angry. You've been really tired. Work has been really piling up, but you were really unkind. So yeah, what are you going to do to repair? And this is self-talk. This is you saying, I understand why you did this. I don't, you know, I'm going to be kind to you about it, but you can still hold yourself accountable. So being kind to yourself doesn't give you this space to say, well, now I'm not accountable to anything. It's just, it's simply just being kind to yourself. Yeah. And I think a big part of that too, on either end of the spectrum, kind to yourself, kind to your, the people that you love around you is ego, letting that ego go. Yes. And actually it's interesting because another myth that I want to talk about is this comes up that self-compassion is narcissistic. Mm, I love this one. Yes. So people will say, oh God, like this, that's like so narcissistic, you know, to, you know, talk to yourself in this way. So What can get confused, where people can get confused, is between self-compassion and self-esteem, okay? So these are two separate concepts, okay? So self-esteem is our evaluation of our self-worth, okay? So our how we evaluate our own self-worth is self-esteem. And so people will say, okay, well, if I'm you know, I guess seeing myself as better than average, above average, um, then that's narcissistic. But we're talking about something totally different. Self-esteem and narcissism are completely outside of self-compassion, okay? Self-compassion is actually not judging or evaluating yourself, okay? It's actually a way of relating to yourself and your difficult thoughts, difficult feelings with kindness and acceptance. Okay, so self-esteem kind of requires us to feel better than others, okay? Whereas self-compassion requires acknowledging that we're imperfect and that all humans Mm -hmm. are imperfect and that we are going to make mistakes. We are going to say and do things that are not kind or that don't align with who we are, and that's okay. So these these concepts are are different. And I like what you said too, just that the myth about it being like, oh, that's really narcissistic. Like I've actually been dealing with that a lot in therapy as well, talking about doing this podcast and the reasons why I want to do it. And I keep saying to her like, okay, I just genuinely want to help people. Like I feel like it's so important and this conversation around trauma is so important. And I know that so many people must be struggling the same way that I am and was struggling. But as I say it, it feels so, I said, like, it feels so 
conceited. It feels so like my ego's inflated. Like I want to help people. Like it, there's such a negative response around it for me. And I feel so weird saying it, but it's actually the truth. So it's interesting. Like it does feel arrogant for me to say those things. Yeah. But then that's so funny because that's like that voice creeping up mm-hmm. that's self-critical to saying, well, you're, what do you have to say? Why, why is what you're saying important? Why are you, Ooh, you know, what keeps coming up? What? You know, what keeps coming up in my head is, um, who do you think you are? Okay. Yeah. See, good. That's, that's that self-critical voice of yeah. saying, yes. Like what business do you have doing this? Sort mm-hmm. of, right. And so that's self-criticism, right? And self-compassion is the antidote to self-criticism. Right. And, but people kind of, it it can feel really foreign because people, yeah, they really do believe it's, you know, again, it's a myth, right? This is a myth that people think this is kind of a narcissistic practice, like to indulge yourself in this way, right? That's how people view it. And so there's a lot of resistance to that because people don't want to be narcissistic. That's not a, um, you know, a personality trait that, I believe most people are striving for. So there's a lot of resistance there to say, no, no, that, that feels uncomfortable because it, it's like this focus on ego. Yeah. So another myth is that self-compassion is, again, this kind of similar to narcissism, but it's self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those two kind of go hand in hand, right? Like I just, we really, I, that is honestly my goal for the month. This is what I'm working on, like getting that negative voice out of my head. I'm not being narcissistic. I'm not being egotistical. This is genuinely what feels good to me. And that's okay. Yes, exactly. And changing that you know, inner voice. It's interesting too, when we think about how long our self-critical voice has been developed, you know, Mm. often, and again, you know, for people who have dealt with a lot of trauma, you're going to have a really strong self-critical voice because likely people were not kind to you. You didn't receive love and you didn't receive kindness in a way that downloaded in your brain. And so when you think about how long you've been thinking this way, most people, it's their whole lives. Most people are like, they're, they don't even remember not thinking this way. It's going to take time. It's going to feel really foreign when you're trying to rewire your thinking. Well, I think too, a lot of it for me anyways, was okay. If I already think this way of myself, when someone else thinks it and says it out loud, it won't hurt so bad because I've already acknowledged it. I already, I already think this about myself. So it's not going to hurt so much. Like it's almost like easing the blow, right? Okay, interesting. I like that. So it's like, if you think it and absorb it and believe it, like nobody can really hurt you because you've already punished yourself. You are like, oh yeah, like I'm being an egotistical person or I'm just like, you've already kind of self-punished. You know, what's interesting about that is like, again, you know, what does that self-punishment accomplish for you? Like, what do you believe it's doing for you? God, nothing. Well, then it was like protecting me. It was a, right? It felt like I was protecting myself from other people's opinions, what they thought of me. You know, I, it was going to be okay because I'd already processed what that meant for me. I'm, I'm good. I already feel that about myself. So you can't get me, you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. And I, I think it's so good to talk about it because we have to ask ourselves 
when we're learning new things in therapy and self-compassion is definitely going to be a practice. I mean, I, self-compassion is a big practice in my own, um, therapy with people. Um, but when we're having these discussions, I, I ask people like, okay, well, what is, what is your self-critical voice doing for you? Right? Like there's a reason you're using it. There's a reason that you're hanging on to it. Right. And a lot of times people will say, well, yeah, it protects me or it motivates me. And it, but it's interesting before we were having this conversation today, it's funny people's attitudes in general. Like I was walking and there was like young kids, young boys, they were probably like 12, 14 in and around that age. And they were obviously like training for some competitive soccer league. And the coach was shouting at all of them. And he was shouting things like, so-and-so, you look lazy out there. Look at how lazy that is. Look at, and then, you know, you look at how sloppy your kick is. Look at, tighten that up. You're so sloppy. And he was shouting at these young boys. And I, I was watching and I just thought, wow, like we get trained from so many people to be mm-hmm. really critical. And, and what is that accomplishing? That I, I believe that that coach believes that he's motivating these young men. Yeah. I believe that coach believes that he's helping these young men. He's helping these young men be the best athletes they can be. But I wanted to scream, like, you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> I wanted to be like, stop what you're doing, please, for the love of Hand them your card. <laughs> yeah, yes. Right? Where you're just like, it's so backwards. It's so backwards, this idea of, um, name calling and criticizing is going to make us better. It's like the exact opposite of what you're trying to accomplish. Interestingly, though, like momentarily, you get results. Yes. Momentarily, you do get results because when you berate yourself enough, you are going to do something. But it makes us deeply unhappy. So deeply unhappy. And unraveling all of that later in life, it's a lot of work. Yes, it's a ton of work, right? And so outwardly, sure, fine, you might be accomplishing more or doing more, but your internal world, your internal emotions are really unhappy. And the truth is, when we are our happiest selves, um, and you know, you can't be happy all the time, but we, when we are well and we are our happy selves, we are happier to the other people in our lives. We are more kind partners. We're more kind parents. We're more committed employees, right? Yeah. We're not hitting the snooze button five times and showing up to work, you know, an hour late, right? When we can actually be kind to ourselves, be happier versions of ourselves, everything else does fall into place. Mm-hmm. It's so true. And thinking of another realm of self-compassion, you know, as a trauma survivor, yeah. It's really interesting that I don't trust those happy moments. So we talked in a couple episodes ago about how it actually can also steal the joy in your life, right? Like trying to protect yourself all the time and not practicing that self-compassion to allow yourself to feel the happy, it steals your joy Yeah, and you're not living in the moment. So I just realized like we went to Vancouver as a family to go to this co- to Morgan Wall concert the other night. And on the way home, I was just like, almost in tears because I was thinking about how incredibly fun that was with my kids and how I'd waited so many years for moments like this with them. And it just like made me so happy. And that old voice inside my head instantly went, okay, but what's going to happen next? Like, okay, 
you're you're letting your guard down. You're not paying attention to what the possibilities could happen of something bad. And I actually like stopped for a minute on the way home and I was like, no, you it's okay for you to be happy in this moment. Bad things may happen down the line. I have the tools now to handle those bad things, but I'm really going to sit in this joy because I've spent the last year sitting in the crap, in the pain. Now I'm going to sit in this joy. Yes. And it felt uncomfortable, yeah. but I gave myself the permission to do it. And well, and actually I'm going to stop you. What I'm hearing from you is not giving yourself permission. You got permission by being self-compassionate. By you saying, you know what? Hey, this is okay. Actually, just sit in this for a minute. Just feel happy, right? That is this self-compassionate voice that you've been exercising and you've been learning so much. And what a difference it made for you in that moment. Yeah, huge difference. Yeah, huge difference. Like I literally, this is going to sound so funny, but I told Brent on the way home, I was like, it's like I took a drug. Like the trees are prettier and like the sky (laughs) is bluer. Like I just felt... (laughs) He's like, okay, but it, honestly, like, like, I just did felt, you? <laughs> did you take something? But it just felt like giving, <laughs> giving myself the permission, being self-compassionate enough. Like I actually let myself go and let myself really for the first time feel really genuinely happy. I love that. And you know what? So here's another interesting thing. So two words come up for me as well when I think about self-compassion. So two words that come up to me are pain and suffering. Okay. And pain and suffering are actually different things. Okay. So how I define pain and everybody's going to have a different opinion. So I want to say how I define pain is it's emotion generated from an event. Okay. So painful things are going to happen in our lives. We're human. It's unavoidable. Painful things are going to happen. Okay. We can't, we can't avoid that. We can't escape that. It's just, that's life. Okay. Suffering is the emotions that are generated from the judgments we have about the event. So we add additional suffering to the pain by harsh judgments, harsh criticisms, being cruel and unkind to ourselves, to our experience. Okay? So we're adding a lot more suffering into our painful moments with these behaviors. So what I'm hearing is basically when you have self-compassion, it helps you with the suffering. It helps you process the suffering. You're reducing the suffering. Yeah. We can't, pain is going to happen and painful things are going to happen, right? So that's that's life and that's a hard fact of life. The self-compassion helps, sorry, with the suffering piece, right? Self-compassion reduces the suffering we attach to the painful moments, mm-hmm. right? So say you totally screw up uh, in a parenting moment, you know, like you just really, you say the wrong things, you, you know, your child's crying, they've run to their room, whatever the scenario is. And then you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh my God, I screwed them up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you're thinking, oh my Well, I've done it now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it totally messed up. I totally screwed this kid up. They're going to talk to their therapist about this moment when they're 40. (laughs) Like, you know, those are judgments that are adding to the painful moment. The painful moment is that you were not a good parent and you're not, you can't be a good parent all the time. That's again, right? So you're not a good, you weren't a good parent. And that's painful to say to yourself, 
but the suffering is all the judgments. So self-compassion reduces that. Self-compassion will say in this painful moment, wow, not good. But you are a kind parent. You're a loving parent. You deeply care for your child. You messed up. What can we do to fix it? Can we go and apologize? Do they need space? Um, you know, you working on those reparative things. That is going to reduce the suffering of the painful moment. Which also brings me back to what you said earlier. And you can be have self-compassion, but also hold yourself accountable. So going and apologizing, admitting that you messed up, showing them that you're human, that you also sometimes don't have the same, like the self-regulation that you need to have. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. I love that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So trying to see those two things like separately, but like kind of going back to your example where you're saying, I'm so happy right now. I don't know if bad things are going to happen. Right. That's pain. That's, that's what you're talking about is like painful moments. We don't know when they're going to happen or if they're going to happen. So acknowledging, accepting, we, we can't, we can't run away from all the pain in our life, but we don't have to add suffering to it. Yeah. So true. And, you know, talk like in the lines of the myths too, I think something that was really important for me in working with self-compassion was something that was holding me back was that if I stayed in the pain, if I stayed broken, if I stayed hating myself, if I stayed just like constantly criticizing who I was and the choices I made, it held those people that did that to me accountable. Like they did this to me and this is why I'm this way. Oh, I, I actually really like that, that thought. Right? Yes. Yes. So that was something I had to really work on was realizing that, okay, if I started to have more self-compassion, if I started to process all of this, I wasn't forgiving them. I wasn't giving them a free pass and letting them off the hook. I was actually giving myself permission to live the life I want to live. I don't have to stay in pain just to keep them accountable. That was a really big one for me. I love that. I, I honestly think that's so important, especially for trauma survivors, right? Like like what you're saying is like the pain is almost like holding this idea of like other people accountable. Like, look at you. You broke me. Look at, look at yep. me. Look at what you've done to me, right? But again, you can heal and still hold people accountable, right? So these people in your life, you can heal in inner work and yet still hold people accountable, you know, with boundaries or, you know, whatever it is that is going to help you feel like you're holding those people accountable, but you, like the pain and the suffering, that's not holding anybody accountable. No, you don't have to suffer to hold people accountable. No. And you don't have to suffer to hold yourself accountable. Yes, it's so true. Oh, I love that we did this episode, honestly. Like when we put up that question box on Instagram of like what people wanted to hear us talk about, this was a big one. And at first I was like, I was, uh, I almost was like, no, thank you because it's uncomfortable for me, right? But it's, oh, it's so important. It's so important. So so now we've kind of defined and talked about the myths. Um, The last thing I want to say is when you're you're trying out self-compassion, try and talk to yourself like you would a best friend. Like try and talk to yourself. Like say, you know, your best friend comes to you with a problem. What are you going to say to them? Are you going to be like, oh my God, you're such a screw up. You always mess up your life. God, why do you fuck things up so bad? Yeah. No, you probably wouldn't have any friends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have you ever wanted to say that to me? No. 
Oh boy, here we go. No, never. You liar. No, see, this is the thing. Never in my life would I have ever wanted to say that to you. Truly. Yeah. Right? And likewise for me to you. You would never want to say those things to me. So when you're practicing this, practice talking to yourself as you would a friend. Say, if my best friend brought this to my table and said, whoa, like this happened, what would I say to them? Say it to yourself. Turn that inwards. Yes. And that's like what I said earlier of how I actually started to practice it. It's like, you know, those people like you that I love, I have never stopped loving you or respecting you because of the choices you've made. Yes. All I've done is love you more in those moments where you needed self-compassion and you couldn't have it for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And so we can mm-hmm. understand that more in that outward expression for whatever reason. So when you're trying this out, just try it out in that way. Say, okay, you know what? I'm going to treat myself actually like I would my best friend. I'm just going to try and talk to myself in a different way. And let me tell you, it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel foreign. You may not even believe yourself. Don't worry about that piece. Um, Just keep practicing. Just keep trying it. Yeah. So let's make that for all of our listeners. The goal for the next month, the next four weeks is just practice that. Practice that self-compassion, even if it feels so uncomfortable, so weird, you feel like an idiot. Just say those things to yourself like you were talking to your best friend for one month. For one month. And you would be shocked at how much things shift. And like I said, don't even worry if you don't believe yourself. If you're rolling your eyes, whatever, just push through it. Keep trying it. Um, Cause it's, it makes a huge, a huge difference. It honestly does. It's like one day you wake up and you're like, Oh, I actually kind of believe this about myself. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But you have Mm -hmm. to, you have to try it. But yeah, anyways, I, I, I love this topic. I love, I love working with people on self-compassion. Um, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully the, the listeners, um, yeah, appreciate their homework for the next four weeks. Yes, that's your homework. You know, um, just to finish off, I have one final thought. Yeah. And I want to know what you think about this and what you kind of tell your patients. Because I found in my journey to self-compassion, which I'm still on, it's still sometimes uncomfortable. I'm still doing it. Just like the other day when I had to remind myself it's okay to feel happy. Journaling was a really big one for me where I would like write down what those thoughts were in my head. And then I would write down what I would respond to you or somebody else, like seeing it on paper and reading it back. There's something about print that makes it feel so much more real. Yes. Okay. I love that you brought this up because writing things down and reading them back to yourself is just a different way for your brain to process the information, right? Mm -hmm. Like when we're reading something, it's a different part of our brain that's actually processing that information than when we're just thinking something. So I love the idea of even like a self-compassion journal like these are the self-critical thoughts write those down as ugly as they are Mm -hmm. and write down yeah what would I say to my friend what would I say to my friend in this moment yeah I like that actually write them down even though they're so ugly as ugly as they are because when you read it back you're like oh I don't like that like I can't believe I think that about myself there's something about it in writing right Absolutely. And actually, I find it interesting to people who, um, you know, bring journaling into their practice. What they'll say to me is they'll, they'll say, wow, when I look back at the beginning of my journal, and I look back at the, all these thoughts that I had about myself, they're like, I don't even recognize myself in those thoughts. Yes, I love that you said this, because this is something I take such joy and pride in. 
is reading back to my journal from a year ago, a year and a half ago, where when I was in those ugly places and I'm like, holy shit, I'm a different person. I'm so proud of that. Like, it is so amazing to look back. Yes. People will say like, they don't even, they're like, I don't even know who that person, I don't even know who I was writing about Mm -hmm. back then. Like, it's just so foreign to them. And so, yes, I love that. Thank you for um, bringing that up. That's uh, such a big, important practice. And it gives you a chance to see your own progress. Totally, which is like the best validation that there can be. Oh, look at more homework. More, more homework. homework. More homework. <laughs> Get a journal, start writing. Uh, but no, it's so good. It's such a good practice. Um, and yeah, like I, we'd love to hear how it goes for people. Yes, let us know. Okay, well, thank you so much. I'm soulmate, Susie. I'm so glad you're here. Soulmate, Susie. <laughs> okay, we'll talk, we'll talk next month. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that today's episode provided insight, inspiration, and comfort to anyone who is dealing with the effects of trauma. Remember, you are not defined by your scars and you are not alone in your healing journey. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to rate, review, and share this episode with a friend who could benefit from listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.